season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Cobra Sports. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. Back to the JKR podcast. Today we have South Dakota native and current freshman pitcher at Wichita State. We got Austin Henry on the podcast. Austin, super pumped to get you on the show, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I'm I'm honored to be here. I've heard a few things about it, and I'm, I'm honored to take part in the JKR podcast for sure. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm, I'm uh, excited that the JKR podcast is making its way all the way out to. Um, South Dakota and all the way down to Kansas where you're playing ball at right now. But like I said, super excited to have you. Uh, but before we kind of dig into some baseball stuff, there is one question I kind of like to ask everybody to get on the podcast. And that is, for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Who exactly is Austin? Mm-hmm. Henry? I would say I'm, I don't know, pretty laid back. I don't really get too uh, ruffled up during different things, you know, which kind of translates on the mound a little bit too. Like the stuff will kind of, be hitting the fan once in a while and I'm, I feel like I'm good at just kind of taking a deep breath, letting it flow. You know, I've always been taught like just, just breathe in tough situations, stuff like that. But yeah, going off your question, I feel like I'm just kind of an easy laid back mellow kid. Obviously I still have like the work ethic and all that to pursue my dream of one day being a major league pitcher, but yeah, don't get too riled up, pretty laid back. Uh, I like doing some, some outdoor stuff. I'm from South Dakota. So I like uh, hunting, fishing, stuff like that. I think that's about it, man. Nothing too crazy. Nothing, right, nothing so, insane. Yeah. So when you're up there talking about hunting, when you're up there in South Dakota, I mean, I know that's more towards Canada than a lot of the other guys I get on the podcast that are from Texas and even the Midwest states where they're shooting deer and turkey yeah. and all that. So in South Dakota, is it still kind of the same when it comes to what you're hunting? Or like, are there bears or other types of animals that are up there in South Dakota? Yeah. For like where I'm from. So I'm from uh, the Sioux Falls area, which is, which is uh, East River. So the Missouri River divides the state kind of in two halves. And if you go out West River, like out into the hills and stuff, you'll run into, I think, black bears and stuff. But where I'm from, it's mostly just deer. Uh, pheasant hunting is big. That's what I love to do is hunt, hunt pheasants. Uh, fishing's good. But like I said, you go out to the hills, um, it's a little bit different fishing. You get to like fly fish up in the, the streams and creeks up in the mountains and catch trout. But where I'm from, it's mostly just bass. Uh, some walleye walleye is good where I'm from but yeah to answer your question just uh roosters rooster pheasants and and deer okay yeah so what's the what's the biggest difference you've seen um from where you're at and in, in, so how do I, it's it's not Siox Falls like how do I actually pronounce it it's Sioux Falls Sioux Falls Sioux Falls yeah, okay because yeah. it's, it's spelled as like S-I-O-U-X right yeah it's goofy it's goofy. okay so Sioux Falls what's the biggest difference you've seen from your area in Sioux Falls um, just overall and um, altogether, um, compared to where you're at in Wichita right now, like just biggest differences, um, person life wise, like how how everyone lives their life, um, just atmosphere, uh, um, just yeah, overall. for sure. So one thing that I kind of I didn't really realize when I got down here is I get picked on, not picked on, but just kind of made fun of for the way I talk a little bit. I say my O's weird. I guess it's like a Minnesota thing. So I've been kind of getting made fun of for that. But that's one thing I've noticed. People talk different down here. Uh, it's warmer. That's, that's another big thing. You know, you get into the fall, it was still, I mean, it was still a comfortable, like 80 degrees, 
uh, the end of September, early October, where back home, you know, you get, I mean, it's not rare to have snow in October. So it was, uh, yeah, that part was nice. Just, you know, I could do and do all my baseball stuff outside, throw all that good stuff without having to worry about the weather a whole lot. Now it's a little bit chillier, but it's almost December. So that's pretty, uh, pretty, uh, reasonable, but the weather for sure is, is a, is different. Um, what else is different? Other than that, it's not, it's not nothing too crazy. You know, it's not like there's, there's palm trees or anything, you know, here in Canada. So that's, uh, that's, it's basically just further South, you know, a little warmer. People talk a little bit different. That's, that's about it. It's a lot drier too. I've noticed that like the, like the grass and everything when I get down here was brown and crispy and all that. The leaves don't really change colors as much as they do up North kind of where I'm from, you know, the fall is a lot more, more beautiful with the trees changing colors, but yeah, other than that, uh, pretty similar with okay. with everything so what is so you talking about weather like what is the weather like right now like you said it is close to december it's that last week of november first week of december coming up uh what like mm. what's the weather looking like right now uh wichita you mean yeah in wichita yeah yeah so right now it's we have kind of a, apparently it's like cold front coming in that's what they say it's not it's not that cold from where i'm from but it's like i think it's about 40 degrees 30 degrees It'll get to it'll get to be freezing, you know, a couple times here and there. It's a little windy, but it snowed once. I remember that we had a little bit of snow on the ground, but then it melted right away. So nothing crazy. Like in South Dakota, when it snows, like it stays there. You know, it'll stay there until February until it all melts, and then you get flooding problems and all that. But yeah, a little chillier for here for uh, the Texas kids that are on my team, but. Me and some of the the northerners are we're, we're just fine. We're chilling. Sure. I mean, I talk to a lot of Texans, and I mean, they're always talking about how they're starting baseball in February. And where I'm from, I mean, it's like 25 degrees in February. So I'm like, how the hell are you playing by baseball in that? Yeah. Uh, let's oh, let's yeah. move into baseball a little bit. Kind of, you're at Wichita State now. You said you're there for a couple more days before you head back for Thanksgiving. Uh, so let's dig into mm-hmm. the recruiting process that landed you at Wichita State. Um, so just digging into it, kind of take us through that recruiting process and kind of when it got started for you. Absolutely. So the recruiting process for me was not weird, but it was weird for like the people kind of around my area. You know, you have these kids from Georgia and Texas, all those big time baseball states where like it's not rare for kids to commit in eighth grade. You know, you get some of those freak kids that commit eighth grade year, freshman year. But where I'm from, you know, usually if you get a kid to commit early, it's like the end of their junior year. But mostly it's just senior year. They they tell people where they want to go and then they just kind of go. So it's my sophomore year. I remember January, my sophomore year, and I just got done playing at the MLK in in uh, where was that Peoria in Arizona, and some schools were talking to me at that point. But then I went down there and I played pretty well. So I had a, I'd say about 10, 15 schools that were all kind of talking to me. Mostly ones in the Midwest area, you know, like Nebraska, Creighton, the Gophers, um, Shockers, K State, KU, stuff like that. You know, OU a little bit, but. <clears throat> I went to a recruiting camp here in Wichita in the middle of January. And it was like the first time I've ever gone to a a recruiting camp for a school. And I went there, did my thing, got to meet coach Pelfrey, got to meet coach Sirianni, all those dudes that are here right now. And they just absolutely welcomed me into the program. It felt like I was at home for some reason. I've never been there before. So it was just a, a really cool feeling. You know, I've never been there and it already feels super comfortable just with, just with the guys that are there already. So that was good for me. Um, 
after after that, did that, I went and pitched, and then I'm driving home, and I get a call from Mike Sirianni, who is the recruiting coordinator here and kind of like the defensive coach as well. And he's like, awesome, we really liked you. We're going to offer you. Uh, and it was a very, very generous offer that I couldn't really turn down. So I'm like, absolutely, dude, like, let's do it. So I just had one offer that I took right away as a, as a sophomore. And at that point, I was, I mean – I was maybe touching like an 88, 89, nothing insane, but still obviously good enough to, to give myself an offer. And then after that, I was, yeah, so I committed there uh, junior year, sophomore year, my bad, sophomore year. And then the cold COVID thing hit. So it was, it was something that was like a blessing for sure, because you couldn't go out and do anything for, for a while, as everyone knows. So yeah, committing and getting that out of the way pre-COVID was a huge thing for me. You know, if you wait, you kind of hold off, and then COVID hits. You know, you never know if schools are willing to pull the trigger or not. And I think me being committed to that almost, like, opened the door to other opportunities. Like, I know that was a big reason that I got into area code, just because it kind of, like, established a name for myself when there's really not a whole lot up here. Like, scouts don't spend a whole lot of time in South Dakota. It just doesn't happen. So that was another thing that I feel got me to to get to those some of like the bigger events. And so yeah, I just committed as a sophomore and kind of got out of the way super, super early. Yeah. So that was good. So, yeah. So you committed to Wichita State there kind of right on the spot, as you said on that phone call. Um, but if like you were yeah. gonna go through that process, uh, where you're kind of like going to different schools, kind of going, okay, Wichita State compared to OU or K State, KU. Uh, what would have been some of those like key things that you would have been looking for um, as you would be would have been comparing different universities and different coaching staffs? Yeah, one thing that I really like is uh, just experience that the coaching staff has, you know, where where their coaches have been, what they've done, different things like that. And when you look at Wichita State compared to other coaching staffs really in the country, it's tough to find because our head coach, Eric Wedge was the manager in the big leagues for, I think, like seven years, coach manager of the year in 07 or 08 or something like that. And then Mike Pelfrey, our pitching coach, is a 12-year big leaguer, you know, first-round draft pick. So the dudes that are teaching you have already been there and done that, what you want to do, you know. So I, I just think that that is second to none when it comes to Wichita and how their coaching staff is just kind of like – like I said, it's really rare. It's just really rare with who they have here, what they're doing. So that was big for me, knowing that that they have like their history is just huge. Yeah. So when you're around guys like Pelfrey, guy around guys like Wedge, where they've been in the major leagues, seeing all these, oh, I mean, Hall of Famers. I'm sure Eric Wedge was around the same time Ken Griffey Jr. was on the Mariners, um, and seeing just different Hall of Famers, different All Stars, mm-hmm. just the way they go about it. Um, how do you go about picking Coach Wedge and Coach Pelfrey's brains, uh, just with with all the experience that they've had in their career so far? Yeah. Um, like, I mean, I've only been down here for about two months, so I haven't had a ton of time to really sit down and talk with them and really pick their brain. Like, hopefully I can someday. So just that whole thing of it. But one thing that I've kind of noticed is that just the little things they do, you know, how they go about practice, the small things that they really, really implement into people's brains and really drive them and teach. It's just kind of a, it's just crazy, you know, cause I'm, I haven't really been around, coaches of that stature before no offense to coaches back home because I had great coaches back home but obviously no 12-year big leaguers so just looking at the small things how they do them how they how they go about their business you know some of the stories they tell are unbelievable and then just 
just kind of how they get everyone going, you know, because they've been around great players. They know what great what great players look like. Sorry. And I think that we got a lot of them in our clubhouse. So that'll be it'll be cool to see where we go. But yeah, I'm I'm just excited to to play for these guys here, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah, so coming from South Dakota, where you're kind of all the way up there, where a lot of your other guys in your class are from the Georgias, Texas, Kansas, all those other states more down yeah. south, did you have any pre-existing relationships with some guys that were commits as well in the 2022 class? Or for the most part, did you make a lot of those relationships on campus when you guys all got there this past August, September? Yeah, there were a few dudes that I knew of right away. I knew Hogan right away just because I was the first commit and he committed like a couple days after me. So we committed at the same time. So I knew of Hogan. I knew of Ashton Izzy, who didn't get here. He got drafted. And then I knew of uh, Michael Mulholland as well. Just some pitchers from my area, you know, upper Midwest, cold weather arms, stuff like that. So I would see them at uh, like, like not local events, but like regional events yeah. and get to talk to them about stuff. So I, I was aware of who they were. I, I was aware that they were good. But it wasn't until I got to campus where I really got to meet with some of the other Texas kids, um, just some of the kids that I wasn't super aware of uh, previous to college. So, so, so yeah, now that most of it came on campus. Okay. So now that you've been on campus for a while, got to be with these guys on a day-to-day basis, doing training, going to different uh, classes, stuff like that. Um, who are some of the guys that you've probably bonded with the most? Mm. Yeah, so my quad is me, Hogan, and the quad is just like we have two dorms on each side and then like a bathroom shower in the middle. And that is me, Hogan's my roommate, and then I have Charlie Rogan, who's from Colorado, okay. and Nate Sneed, who's from Wisconsin. And so those those three dudes are definitely I'm super tight with, without a doubt, just because we've been together the most. But other than that, you know, it's a very, very tight-knit group of dudes within the clubhouse especially with ages like you know some of the older dudes don't like to like limit themselves but they're just I'm not not around them as much you know but all the freshmen we are all very 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 close okay we try to do the same I mean a bunch of stuff together and it's just a good group of dudes so with you being that first commit in that 2022 class to Wichita State did you in Mm -hmm. a way try to recruit a couple of your buddies who are also good ball players to go to Wichita State or did you kind of lay low when it came to that type of stuff Mm, that's a good question so obviously there's there's good players up in South Dakota that no one really knows about just because the exposure isn't great um a couple names off the top of my head that were kind of talking to Wichita that I would kind of put a good word in for him was uh Chase Mason's a year older than me and Marcus Phillips I know was is in my class really really good he's an Iowa Western just committed to Tennessee and uh time and long he's at a JUCO in Nevada the same one that Bryce Harper went to and those dudes, I, like, they'd always ask me questions. I'm like, yeah, man, like, I've obviously I'm biased, but, yeah, I want you to come here, you know. But hey, when it comes to that, it's just kind of a general agreement that all the dudes just kind of let their own decisions kind of be made. Yeah. You know, you just kind of let them go, let them do what they want to do. But if they have questions, absolutely, like, I'll answer them because, obviously, I want you to come here because I know what you can do. I would talk – like, some of the coaches would call me and talk to me about different guys and give like some inside, inside intel on them. And I would do that with hundred percent honesty and yeah. But when it comes to like their decision, I hundred percent respect whatever they're going to do. Yeah. So what is your relationship like mm-hmm. with coach Wedge, coach Pelfrey, um, the recruiting coordinator there at Wichita state as well um, with you being committed for so long now, and now that you've been playing a full fall season with them, what is the relationship mm-hmm. you have with them and how has it evolved 
since you've committed and been there now for a, a one semester pretty much? Yeah, so right away, Coach Pelfrey, I was super close with him when I committed, obviously, just the first first commit. I'd call him whenever I had questions. We'd go through mechanical stuff over FaceTime, stuff like that. And then when I got to campus, I think, you know, he, he really got to know me and maybe got annoyed me right away or something. But, no, we're still super close. I still obviously talk to him about everything, you know, especially me coming off Tommy John. He had Tommy John, which is, which is huge. So I'm just kind of comparing where, where I'm at in the process and what he was feeling at that point. So all of that stuff is super beneficial with Pelfrey. Sirianni, I don't really talk to as much just because he's more of the defensive guy and he doesn't really communicate with the pitchers a whole lot. But I'll say hi to him when we're in the facility and just kind of, you know, BS with them, give him a hard time, stuff like that. But all the coaches are are very, very, like, structured in what they do, but also understand the baseball side of it where you can have a lot of fun and, and just kind of, you know, like baseball players tend to screw around more than your other sports just because just kind of the way the game works, I guess. And they understand that, which is good, but they also, you know, run a pretty pretty strict, uh, pretty tight ship when it comes to baseball and practices and when you need to be there. If you're late, you got to run, all that stuff. So the best of both worlds for sure when it comes to that. Okay. So you talk about Tommy John there and you did have Tommy John. I guess it was a little bit ago. I, I never really found when exactly mm -hmm. it was, uh, but can I take us through yep. um, the day that you like, I guess you maybe found out you had Tommy John, what, what was going on, how it happened and what that process mm -hmm. was to get back to a hundred percent. Yeah. So that was uh, definitely a very, very tough moment in my life. It was February of, of this year. So February, 2022. Um, at the Super 60 event for PBR right before the high school season kicks off. So it's a big deal. You know, I'm trying to go there and hit, you know, maybe maybe a 96, you know, show some people that what I can what I can do, spin my curveball. And I'm about halfway through my pen and I throw, I think it was a changeup or something. And I felt something go in my elbow. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. You know, it didn't hurt right away. I didn't hear like a pop. Because usually when dudes throw and they need time, John, they hear a pop because they blow their UCL. And that wasn't really the case. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. Maybe I just strained it. I finished my bullpen. Um, I was still sitting 91, 93 with it. Uh, but my accuracy was kind of all over. I was kind of spraying. And it felt like my arm was in a different spot than where it really was. It felt like it was behind me. So all my misses would be up and in, arm side. And I'm like, man, that's really weird. Like my arm was a little sore, but it wasn't like it was hanging. And my arm was like blown, you know. And after that, I gave it about a couple of weeks, took some throwing off, getting ready for the high school season, you know, just kind of chilling out a little bit. And then three weeks after that, I try to throw again. And my first plyo ball I throw got right here. And I felt like a super sharp pain in my elbow. And I'm like, okay, that's not good. You know, that's, that's not good at all. Yeah. So my advisor set me up with Keith Meister, who's the uh, Rangers doctor down in Dallas, Arlington. TMI sports and he is if you're like aware with Tommy John surgery and who does it he is widely renowned as one of the best doctors for Tommy John in the country it's him Dr. Andrews and I think there's a another one out in LA but yeah definitely like one of the best doctors in the country so I go down there with my mom you know hopefully thinking it's just kind of a sprain because I still didn't hear a pop or anything like that so I'm down there I get my MRI he's looking at it and he's like yeah, man, you got a you got a grade two tear. You're you're probably gonna need Tommy John. And I remember hearing that and like not believing it right away. 
because I'm like, there's no shot. Like I didn't hear a pop. I didn't, I was still able to throw pretty hard, all that. And he's like, most dudes that hear a full on pop is a grade three. And he said, what you can do with a grade two is you can either just kind of rest it and see if it'll heal on its own. But sometimes dudes will rest it for like eight months, try to throw again, and then just pops anyway. So it was, he was like, if you were taking my advice, I'd get the surgery because then you know for sure that it's, it's fixed, but it'll be about a 14 month recovery thing. And it was obviously very, very tough to hear at the time because I was literally like weeks away from starting my, my high school year, you know, and a bunch of scouts were texting me like, Hey, when are you going to throw? I need your schedule. And it was going to be a, a pretty exciting spring. It just was, you can ask anyone. And it was, it was tough to hear for sure. Just because you, you get that taken away from you. You go from throwing every day, you go from doing all this work to get ready for this year. And it's just stripped away from you just like that. So the next couple months just kind of flew by. I got surgery in, in, uh, in March, end of March. And like I said, after that, it just, everything just moved really, really quick because I was, I couldn't do anything, you know, just sitting around. It's just, it was weird for me because I like going and doing stuff. I would go and work out, you know, five days, five days a week down at the facility that I train at in Sioux Falls. And you go from doing all that to doing nothing, just kind of sitting around. So yeah, after that, it was kind of goes, went by. Um, I go back down there for a checkup and everything is looking good right before the combine. So that was good. And then, so yeah, get to the combine and that, I don't know if you want to talk about that or not, but that's just leading up to the kind of the, the middle of summer. That's just how it went. It just went super fast. A lot of little like rehab things like arm squeezes, different arm movements, just really, really basic, small stuff. Okay. Yeah. We can, we can dig into the combine here in a second. I kind of want to, I have a couple more questions about Tommy mm-hmm. John. Um, so when, yeah, it comes sure. to, when it comes to like that recovery process, what are like, are there mm-hmm. certain different stages that you kind of ramp up to and kind of load up to where like, you're going to be a hundred percent. And then where exactly are you at now in that process? Mm-hmm. It's only been what, 10, oh, nine, 10 months after the fact. Yeah. So I, the protocol that I was given, well, actually the surgery that I got is, it was kind of like a newer surgery. It was, it's called like the hybrid is where so they take this this tendon out of my wrist and they kind of bind that to like a they call it a shoelace but it's like a fiber something like synthetic cable or rope or something that they put in your arm so you have your your i forget what it's called your pulmaris longus is like the thing that's called it's like their your wrist tendon and i guess you don't need that to throw or anything because i took that on my right hand and then they bind that they got it all all stitched up and that's a, that's a 14 month recovery thing so right now i am so I had surgery in March. Would that make that just over eight months? My math is right. I don't know. Yeah. So you'd be ready. It's more of like a week thing. Okay. So, so I would be, yeah. So what's up? So what are the, what are the couple things you're doing right now in your recovery process? And what are some of those next couple steps? You yeah. 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 So right now I am throwing, you start throwing at six months, which is it's longer than normally. Cause a normal Tommy John procedure is usually like four months. You start throwing. But I guess this this uh, hybrid surgery I have takes longer to heal, but it also has more longevity than a normal one with me being younger and hopefully like my career is still ahead of me. So I am, yeah, about eight months out. I've been throwing for about two months now. And right away, the throwing is like one set of 25 at like 45 feet. So it is super, super light. I mean, you could kind of flick it there if you really wanted to. 
and then it just moves back 15 feet and then one set, two sets, three sets for every week. So three weeks after that, I was at 60 feet for one set and then 60 feet for two sets and then three sets of 25 and then I'd move on. So it's a very, very slow process. So I'm at 90 feet right now. Uh, tomorrow, I will start 90 feet for three sets of 25. And then after that, I'll go to 115 okay. feet. So is there is there another part of the recovery mm-hmm. process that's not throwing wise, like not um, having a guy you're playing catch with and you're moving back 15 feet at a time? Is there another part of that recovery process or is it kind of just throwing until you kind of build that arm strength back up? Yeah, there's like little work that you can do, like strengthening, making sure your shoulder's still good because a lot of dudes are scared. Like once, you know, like your elbow is all fixed and everything, but your shoulder hasn't thrown in that long or for like, in my case, six months. So my shoulder right away was super tight. My lats were super tight because those muscles weren't being used at all. And so I had to do a lot of like work with those like hyper bowling, uh, foam rolling, all that stuff just to get everything loosened up. But after that, as long as you just do your recovery after you throw every time, I have a bunch of different things on like the tech side that I feel help me out a lot, like driveline pulse, the uh, arm care, diameter stuff. But other than that, it's just it's just a long process that you need to be patient for. Yeah. So you mentioned Moving that draft combine there, and at that point, what was that in June or July? Mm-hmm. So at that point, you're three or four months. June, I think. June. Yeah. So at that point, you're a couple months beyond that Tommy John surgery. What exactly did you do at that Tommy uh, at sorry at that draft combine, and what exactly was your experience with you kind of being injured at that point? Yeah, so the combine. I mean, there was games going on and stuff. Obviously, I knew I wasn't going to play in those, so I just went down there and had a couple meetings with teams and most of the people in their kind of front office. So it was San Diego, it was at Petco, and my first meeting I had was actually with the Padres. And I got to talk to Preller, all the dudes in the, in the front office for the Padres. And that was a really, really cool just experience. Because obviously, you know, I, I knew who all those dudes were. I knew that they were all obvious. I mean, they, they call shots, you know. Yeah. So I get in there and they're kind of talking to me. And they're kind of taking a, a couple different uh, angles at it. Like one of them's kind of drilling me with questions. The other ones are kind of like being nice about it. But I'm answering all the questions. And then I, I can see they're all like looking up behind me. So I'm like, what the hell are they looking at? And I look and it's like a big flat screen TV of every outing I had in the summer, like ones that I didn't even know I was being videotaped on, which was weird because like those things, those events, you'd ask if they'd have like a live stream. So people back home could watch and they're like, no, they don't have a live stream. So I just assumed I wasn't on camera. And all of those dudes had, I mean, area code, PG National, uh, my event at uh, Kaufman. Midwest Scouts Association thing, PG All-American, all of those things were all documented. They were all watching every single outing I had and asking me different questions about it. I'm like, wow, this is, this is crazy. You know, I didn't know that they had any of that on video. So that was, that was a crazy thing. Um, but that meeting in general was just super awesome. to get to talk to those guys, get to meet, you know, the faces behind the San Diego Padres. And after that I had a couple more meetings, but mostly I was just hanging out that weekend in, in San Diego. It was a, it was a cool deal because MLB paid for everything. So I was just hanging out, you know, chilling at the, at the ballpark. It's, it's like 75 degrees there every day. San Diego is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Foods pay for. So that was, that was a super fun weekend for sure. Got to meet all the dudes, a lot of them that were at PG All-American, you know, uh, the summer prior to that. So I got to re- kind of reconnect with all those dudes, seeing how their high school seasons went, all that. 
but yeah, super cool experience. Got it out. So how did that Padres meeting, how did that compare to some of the other teams that you got to meet with at that draft combine? Well, I think the Padres one was just different because it was in San Diego. So they had a lot more people there just because they all live there, you know? Yeah. So there's just more people in there, but the other meetings too, they're all, they're all pretty similar. All, you know, they kind of want to get to know you, see kind of what you would sign for, talk money. And I was just taught to just not talk about the money thing at all. Just kind of leave that to my advisors and all that. They'll take, they'll take care of, of all that. So I just sat there and talked about pitching, talked about my recovery, talked about my arm, my surgery, where I'm at with the process, who did my surgery. All those questions are pretty universal from, from a, each ball club. Okay. So how did you find out that you were invited to the MLB draft combine? Cause I believe last year was the first year they've actually ever done it or else it might've been the second time right. either, either way. Um, when did you find out mm-hmm. like you were invited? Um, Cause I'm just curious on when like they generally send out those invites to the draft combine prior. Yeah. So I think the top 300 picks get invited. So I was, I just got an email on it, but it was something that I was kind of planning for because I knew that I was hopefully would were to fall in those top 300 so that was just something that I was just got an email for. Uh, they took care of the, the flight and everything. They took care of the travel. So I just got an email and about when the dates were and headed out went to San Diego. All right. So obviously that draft combine, I mean, pretty much that whole weekend is valuable. I mean, you're getting to go there and talk to gen- general managers, VPs, stuff like that. But what would you say would be the most valuable experience mm-hmm. you gained from that MLB draft combine? The most valuable experience for sure is probably the knowledge of the other kids that were there. Uh, there were a couple of times I would, so my roommate was, who was my roommate? Cole or Cole Young, Cole Young, who okay. got drafted by the Mariners first rounder. Uh, I got to hang out with him during the weekend. I got to hang out with uh, Barry era, who was a top high round pick. Ferris was there just talking pitches, pitches with all those dudes and kind of their, what they do and how they go about getting hitters out. And then just kind of comparing all the, the process of what I do, different things like that. That was super, super valuable. Just hearing their point of view, what they uh, what they go about, what they prioritize, all that good stuff. Yeah. So the, the knowledge and the process that you have on pitching, uh, is that pretty universal and pretty common when you're talking to Jackson Ferris, talking to some of those other, at that point, projected first, second mm-hmm. rounders in the same draft class as you? Is that all stuff pretty universal? Or is there a lot of stuff that you did learn from these guys? Um, I would say you have things that are pretty universal, like kind of their the routine, what they do, you know, like plyo balls, band routines, all that stuff, the recovery. But some of the things that they are that aren't universal is just how they pitch. Like for me, what has always kind of worked for me is I'm a high spin fastball guy with more of like a 12-6 curveball. So I would just play up in the zone with my fastball and then go curveball off of that and just kind of tunnel it and then mix a change up in there too, just to kind of keep them, keep them honest with that. But I know uh, who was saying it was Barrier was saying that like he likes going up and in just because he throws super hard. He's topped like ninety nine or something crazy. Uh, Ferris I know has a really good curveball as well. So just kind of they were like asked me how I hold it. I'd ask about their pitch grips, all that stuff. Uh, the grips were different, so that was cool. But for the most part, pitching I feel is is a pretty universal thing when you just kind of look at the general concept of it. You know, just getting hitters out. Yeah. But when you kind of go down and like pick at different things, you know, guys do it a little bit differently. So it's just super cool to, to see how they go about it. 
Yeah. So after the MLB draft combine, can you take us through that rest of that summer uh, when you were going through that 2022 mm-hmm. MLB draft cycle, uh, just the weeks leading up to it, those days of the draft? Um, because like you said, you were at that one point, a projected top 300 pick uh, potentially before the injury mm-hmm. or even uh, whenever that ended up happening. Uh, just kind of take us through that whole experience and what it was like for you the days of the draft. Yeah. So after the, the combine, I think the combine was about a month before the, the, the draft. So after the combine, I was just kind of hanging out. I knew that there was, I knew that after my surgery as well, there was, there was a decent shot that I could have, that I could be drafted. So I was just kind of hanging around, you know, it was still kind of 50, 50, what I was going to do just depending on Bonnie and all that stuff, which kind of sucks that it depends on, but it just has to, it's a business. So the day, yeah, it just kind of, did what I was normally doing, hang out, hanging out, rehabbing. Uh, I would talk to dudes that would call me, some different area scouts that would get their final notes before they have their uh, their final meeting with with the guys who really pull the trigger, you know, like scouting directors and GMs and all that stuff. So yeah, just kind of hanging out and waiting for waiting for the draft to come. Okay. So what what are uh, general conversations like with area scouts? Uh, when and are most area scouts conversations generally mm-hmm. the same? Or were there a couple conversations you had over the phone that potentially stuck out compared to a couple other phone calls you had? Yeah, there were there were also some cool things with that. Uh, hearing what some scouts view as more important information than other scouts. You know, I had some other guys. I had some dudes like the older style scouts that were like, "Yeah, I noticed you don't really paint the fastball down and away as much as 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 much as I would like to see." And I have other guys saying like. Yeah, I like your mechanics. I like how you move. I like the spin rate. I like stuff like that. More modern technology with the game of baseball. Uh, obviously, both hold really significant just power in the game. So just hearing what people prioritize and then also what I need to work on as well. That's a question I would ask with every meeting, I would say. So what are some things you liked and what are some things that you would like to see happen uh, happen from me or what I can do to, to kind of better my, my stock and my game as well? And just hearing what they would say, what they would, what they would prioritize, like I said, is just it was really cool, and it was really uh, it helped kind of mold me um, pitching. And when I was still healthy, it would really help me work on different things, yeah, as well. Just hearing a different point of view of it. So going through that draft process, obviously you mentioned this when it come came to money, it was mostly your advisor um, who was kind of taking care of that, mm-hmm. like it does for like it is for most players. Um, so let's kind of yep. dig into how you ran into your advisor, how they reached out, and what the advisor selection process was like for you. Uh, so just take us through that. Like when was it that advisors kind of started reaching out to you? Yeah, so advisors started reaching out to me kind of right after I committed. I had a few text me, and I had a couple of them come up to South Dakota and watch me play. But I was just kind of feeling like kind of keeping my distance from all of them just because it was a super long time before. And I didn't really know what they did. You know, no one around me could really help me out with with that whole thing because I was kind of the first one in my area to kind of do the whole process of all that. So I didn't really know who to ask. I didn't know who to reach out to. Um, But it was area code my sophomore summer. So going into my junior year, uh, Steve Bean and Eric Eisen from Vanner Sports reached out and they're like, Hey man, we're going to be at area code. Uh, we want to set up a meeting with you and your family. So I'm like, okay, sweet. Got to meet with them. Uh, seemed like good dudes. So I picked them and they were my advisors through the whole draft process. 
All right. So you mentioned as you were going through that selection process, there were a couple of different advisors that did reach out. Um, so before you did pick your guys from Vayner Sports, what were some of those key things that you were uh, just looking for in an agency and in an advisor? Yeah, there were a few things. I like to look at who their clients were, you know, who they who they had in the big leagues, if they had some notable names, if they seemed legit, you know, because th those agencies are kind of tough to kind of determine how like how credible they really are. But if you look at their their client list and they have some some good dudes and like, I mean, players in MLB, you realize they're legit. So just asking who their clients were, um, kind of get to know them as a person, look at their own history and what they did as a player or if it was as something else that what whatever brought them to this point. And then also just just if I could trust them or not as yeah. well. So just those three things were, were important factors. Okay. So before choosing those guys, um, and you were just having different meetings with different advisors um, before mm. you chose those guys from Vayner Sports, what was a general meeting like with some of those guys? Like, were there advisors who were pulling up with a whole presentation kind of going through that? Um, were some of them kind of just like one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations like we're having here? Uh, kind of take us through with some of like, I guess, the vibes in a way um, of the general meetings with advisors were. Yeah, so the first couple of times it was just getting to know them, going out to eat, super, uh, super informal, just how you got to meet them, talking, stuff like that. And then once it kind of got serious, they would bring up their arbitration things, how they go about that, how they go about different things with their clients. Um, another thing that was coming out then was like NIL stuff, you know, what, yeah. their, what their whole thing is with that. But yeah, after a couple of meetings is when it kind of got serious and kind of got to know them and what they do as an agency and how they get their players money um recent deals that they have done uh they're like they like to look at war wins about the placement different things like that so that was cool that was cool okay. so going through the high going through the draft process as a high school senior uh to now going to wichita state yeah. when you will be draft eligible again is it at the end of your sophomore year or junior year i didn't look at your birthday i'm, I'm older so it'll be my sophomore year Okay, sophomore so um, after going through that draft process as a senior to when I won your draft eligible in 2024, um, what is your relationship like with your advisors or how, how did that all go down after this past summer? Yeah, so the draft thing kind of went down with uh, obviously I didn't get drafted and like obviously I, I hoped I would have, you know, just because of that's my dream and all that, but it all kind of depended on money and I wasn't able to get the amount that me and my family felt was reasonable for us. Uh, we thought that there shouldn't have been a huge discount on Tommy John just because it's kind of pretty close to perfected surgery. You know, you have dudes coming back just as good as not, if not better, if they do everything right. So we thought that there shouldn't be as big of a discount on me as other teams thought that there should have been. So that was just kind of a thing that we're like, okay, we're going to be patient. We're going to, we're going to heal this thing up and then we're going to kill it for a year and a half and then hopefully get more than what we were, we were going to get. Uh, in 2024 when I'm a sophomore so that whole thing and then just with the advisors uh I have nothing nothing bad to say about uh Vayner Sports and Eric Eisen but there's just some some trust things that didn't really line up you know I didn't feel like I was being told everything I didn't feel like me and my family were as involved in the process as we would have liked to be so we just kind of went our separate ways I have a new advisor now who's Grant Alvarez with Paragon Sports couple meetings with him and he seems like an awesome guy. So I'm excited for the future with, with him. Okay. So when did he work his way kind of into the conversation? Uh, a couple months ago when I got to campus, um, there's about a month there where I didn't really have an advisor and then the NIL stuff started coming in and I'm like, shoot, maybe I should find someone that can kind of help me out with this whole thing, you know, so it's not just me trying to figure out all this, all this stuff. 
So he's helped me out with that stuff. He's helped me out with kind of going through different problems that have kind of been happening, but yeah, he's been, he's been good about everything. I'm excited to work with him. Okay. So talking about NIL, I generally kind of asked this near the end, but since you brought it up, let's just dig into it now. Uh, What's some of the NIL stuff that's been going on for you so far? Uh, Maybe some deals Mm -hmm. that, uh, that some deals that have been going on. Yeah. So it'll be tougher for me to get NIL deals because I can't play this year. It's just how it works. And Wichita, I mean, obviously really good baseball program, but we're not power five. So that is kind of tougher to get bigger NIL deals just because the name of the school isn't as big as like a Tennessee or a Vanderbilt or anything like that, which has nothing to do with the baseball program. It just has to do with the size of the school. So that whole thing with that whole thing being said, it's going to be tough for me to get huge deals, but so far I've had to deal with Chinook Cedary, which is super cool. Um, if they use my code, I get like a certain percentage of their order. And then they, they ship me a couple shirts, a couple hats, stuff like that. A ton of free seeds. So I've been kind of giving them out to the dudes in the clubhouse. And if they like them, they, they order them. And if they don't, like it's, it's good Intel for me, but that's a cool one. I got one with uh, clean Fuego, the little disc things you throw mm-hmm. that show your spin efficiency. So yeah. those are super cool. They sent me a free thing. And then when I start throwing again, I'm totally going to totally going to use those and, kind of gas them up as much as I can because I'm a huge fan of what they do I got kind of one with driveline a little bit the pulse um, which is something you strap to your elbow and then you throw and it'll like measure your elbow torque your arm speed and your arm slot which is super good for me coming off of an injury so that'll be cool what else did I get um I think that's I think that's about it for the bigger ones I had a couple smaller ones that just involved money I had a post on my Instagram that I got a decent amount for uh, just a video promoting an, an app. So different things like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, you mentioned that like just being at Wichita state and not being power five is something that makes it a little bit difficult, but even what even mm-hmm. makes it even more difficult is that baseball NIL is nowhere near when it comes to football, basketball, NIL. Right. Um, right. Is, for me right. being a baseball guy, me being a, a wanting to be an MLBPA certified agent. I mean, that's always something you don't want to see, uh, but no, that's, as I go into my career 15, 20 years down the road, like that's my goal is to bring the, I always call it the individual player marketing. I want to bring that up to the same level of the NBA and um, NFL uh, when it comes to mm-hmm. Major League Baseball and even, I guess, collegiate baseball as well when it comes to NIL money. But, okay, so one dream brand that you would love to work with. Um, yeah. I guess if you can just pick one brand in the world that you just absolutely love, what would be that dream brand for NIL? So I got to – I'm I'm gonna say two of them if that's all right. Perfect. Uh, one of them just on like the athletic side. I've always been a, a huge fan of Adidas. Just their their new baseball stuff they do. I love their cleats. So having an Adidas deal would be would be awesome. But then another one is, is Sour Patch Kids, which is it's kind of kind of goofy. But when I would throw in the summer, um, I was kind of known for having a good spin rate on my curveball. And part of that would be uh, I'd, I'd eat Sour Patch Kids before the game. And if you've had, I mean, I'm assuming you've had Sour Patch Kids. They're yeah. just soury and sugary, right? So I'd have all that sour and sugarness in my mouth. And then I'd lick my finger and give like a fake wipe off. And I'd get all that sugar on my hand and it totally helped with my RPMs. Man. And everyone that I played with kind of knew that. Yeah, at Area Code, I was telling all the kids about it and they were trying them. So I, every big event I'd go to, I'd carry around like a big thing of Sour Patch Kids that would, Shit, man, that's I'd, the, I'd, that's... I'd be, I'd be. <laughs> I'd be chowing on those before the game. I'd be chowing on those and then, yeah, get all the sugar sugar on my hand and then 
throw hammers with it. Man, that might that might be yeah. that might be the best dream NIL brand I've had yet. And especially for the type of reason you have. Shoot, man, that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I mean, yeah. I, the past couple of guys I've had on, especially some of you college guys who I who I ask about NIL stuff. Uh, I had Jace Blaylock, who has like thirteen thousand followers. If you remember him, he was the he was the big old twelve year old in the league world series who hit like a four hundred foot home run. Um, this is this is oh, okay, yeah. class as you. Yeah, I had him on this. I think his episode actually dropped today. Um, he's been doing a lot of um, NIL deals with like these big time hunting brands, which is also cool. Um, and then I know yeah, Arizona sweet. State right now he has a. He got like 25 stakes from Texas Roadhouse or something crazy like that. Where he, it, no, it's 2,500 bucks worth of steak, I believe is what it was. Um, and that's, I mean, that's also cool because, I mean, who doesn't like steak? But yeah, that um, would be sweet just because, mm-hmm. I mean, you have to eat. So <laughs> might as well just go hammer time some steak. Yeah. Um, so digging into um, when you're actually on the mountain, I know you dig into your pitching repertoire a little bit ago. Um, and also let's kind of dig into mm-hmm. arm care first. Um, so obviously arm care is huge for you now as you go through the whole Tommy John's uh, process of recovering. Uh, but before that, kind of what was your arm care routine um, in between starts and kind of just in between outings when you're going around the country, going to different events? Yeah, so my arm care, and it's going to sound kind of stupid to say now because I'm hurt, but I always tried to uh, prioritize my arm care. And I think that my injury had nothing to do with what I was doing for arm care. I think, I think I was just throwing too much. You know, I would be throwing max effort about three times a week, be ripping plyo balls, all that stuff, trying to get my velo up because everyone knows if you throw harder, scouts like that. You know, it's just it's simple. Like dudes that don't throw hard don't get drafted very high. So you have to throw hard, especially in today's, today's game. And I feel like that's just why it popped. I was just throwing too much, throwing, throwing too often, throwing too hard, all that stuff. But for how my arm care was, I would try. So do you just want like a, like a normal, like throwing day on my yeah. progression, what I would do. Sound good. All right. So I would, I'd show up before I throw and I would hypervolt and get everything loose. I would activate is what they like to call them. Activate all the different muscles. And then after that, I'd do like a dynamic stretch, you know, do some separational stretches with my upper body, like hip shoulder separation stuff. I would do um, some some jumping things with my with bands around my legs just to feel the explosiveness that you should feel when you're pitching because pitching is a very very explosive movement. Do some of that and then go into uh, to bands. I do a band routine. I'd like to focus on like just the back area, just getting that super strong because if your back and shoulders are super strong, you're going to be pretty healthy with the shoulders and and all that stuff. So I'd do that, do plyos, and then kind of start my throwing thing. I'd progress out to long toss, and if it was inside, I'd just throw into a net or something, and then kind of bring it back in, pull a, pull a few down, and then kind of get off the mound. Go from there. After I was done throwing, I would do some recovery, which was I like to focus on more of the smaller muscles in your arm that you don't that kind of get left out when you're doing bigger like lifts, like your benches and all your stuff that really partakes in a workout. So I would do different holds with like a medicine ball or a plyo ball, stuff like that. The trampoline thing for driveline, I really like just feeling the force back in your arm and being able to, uh, to kind of structure it around that. So yeah, there's a bunch of different things you can do, which is oh, sweet. Yeah. So I try to switch 100%. it up. As well. like, that's why, that's why I always ask. Cause I mean, I always find that um, really interesting when, when pitchers kind of dig into their whole arm care routine and how they go about it. Cause I mean, it's really, mm-hmm. it's really is a science in a way. 
Um, so I'm always curious on how different pitchers go about it. Um, so who was it that educated you on just different arm care routines? And then how did you figure out why, like, what was the reasoning for you doing each thing? Like wh- who educated you on your arm care? Yeah. So my pitching coach back home in South Dakota, his name is Chris Regas. He was triple A for the Tigers. Uh, you know, he's a pro. So that was, that was a big part of it. And then he also had a, a major in exercise science, I want to say. So he was super familiar with the body, how it works, how it moves. If this is hurting, it could be this. It could be leading to this. He would make all my all my workouts. He would make all my progression stuff. So having him in my corner for that, because that whole side of it is a whole other ballgame. Staying healthy, what what does what? Because you have like the pitching side of it, and then you have like the health side of it. So being that, getting bigger and stronger, all that stuff. So, yeah. so what yeah, is he's your- big. So before before the injury, what was your what did your average offseason look like when it came to just the deload and then back up to the ramp up? Because I know a lot of pitchers like to take off October, November, even December, or yeah. some. So a lot of pitchers have different schedules on that as well. So what did it that look like for you? For me in high school, I always played football, and I I thought that was the best thing I could have done for my arm after a full summer of throwing was to throw a football because. Throwing a football is different on your arm. It works different muscles, but you're still throwing. You know what I mean? It's not like you're taking an entire thing off. Because when you throw a football, you still have to be timed up. You still have to, like, separate your shoulder hips. All that stuff is still great, but there's there's literally, like, no stress on your UCL or your shoulder. You never see quarterbacks with arm problems unless they get drilled or something like that. But that's beside the point. So, yeah, throwing football for that, like, four months in the football season was was awesome. You know, still working out, still – getting blood to my arm, all that, still maintaining to be in good shape, getting strong, explosive, fast, all that stuff was huge. And I would also notice like my first throwing day after football, I would be kind of a a pretty good ways beyond a lot of the kids that didn't play football. I just took time off just because I was still throwing. I was still doing athletic movements, which benefited and directly translated to the mound. Yeah. Talking about all the different coaches that you've played underneath, talking about your high school pitching coach who played in uh, AAA, um, Eric Wedge, who managed the major leagues, your pitching coach now who played in the major leagues, who would you say has been the most influential people um, in your career? You can't, you don't have to pick just one. You can go from three, four, just a handful. Mm. Right. So I'm a firm believer in you can take something from everyone to benefit yourself. You know, if there's a coach that you don't agree with, and you're telling like it's just tough to tough to believe that there's not one thing you can take from from that guy that would benefit you. So I would try to listen and hear everyone out. I think I think you're an idiot if you completely believe everything one coach says. And I say that with with some progression. No offense to any coaches I've had, but you're just you're just not the same person. You know, you have to do your own thing. So if you take everything that that a coach tells you and do it like religiously, you're you're. It's, it's, I don't think that's great. I don't think it is. I think you need to take, you can take more from others than you do from other coaches, but I'm, I, like I said, I'm just a firm believer in every coach that you have can teach you something significant. Like for Regus, my old coach taught me a, a lot, but me and him don't agree on everything. And that's just how it is. It's just how the world works. So learning about the rehab stuff, the arm care stuff, him is great. And then learning about, I like to like coach Pelfrey, just hearing about like, how to hold runners on all of the different pitching things that, that he can teach you, you know, cause he's not super involved with the analytical stuff and all the, uh, 
the health things and all that. He's just a pitcher. So hearing about all the little things, like the, the true art of pitching is huge from him. And then different, like my strength coach hearing about like, what is explosive, all that. You just take it all together and they can all help you. So are you a big analytical guy or are you more, more old school when it comes to um, just stats and kind of um, how to, how to evolve your game? Yeah. No, I think you need both. I do. You can't be directly one side or the other. But I, I feel like I lean more towards the analytics and the uh, the spin rate and things just because it's how my game is played. You know, super high spin curveball, super high spin fastball, uh, tunneling them, um, release height, all of that stuff kind of plays into my game more than like an old school pitching coach would would where to. Uh, so definitely leaning more on that side. And I also feel that's where the game is kind of going. You can ask people that are are doing all that you know 15 years ago no one knew what a track man was no one cared about spin rate and then now it's 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 very very important when people are scouting and people are depending on how to pitch different hitters as well yeah I, yeah you're definitely so, right when you say that the game's definitely going that way i've realized in the past mm-hmm. i don't know two to three months with me becoming certified within the next two three four years um, that I definitely need to get more educated on Rapsodo, TrackMan, uh, some of those other different technologies oh, yeah. out there, uh, just so I can know and kind of take my take my future clients through workouts like that and kind of know what the what the certain little analytics mean and certain little statistics statistics mean. Um, so no, yeah. you're definitely right when you say that's definitely where the game's going. Uh, but no, you mentioned your fastball there. You mentioned your curveball. Uh, kind of take us through what your entire repertoire is and kind of just take us through each mm-hmm. one of those pitches. Shit, let me find a ball quick. I got one right over here. Won't take long. Yeah, so I am four seam fastball. I'm kind of working on a sinker right now. I probably shouldn't be with my program, but I'm kind of working on one of those as well. But back when I was healthy, I would be four seam fastball, uh, true 12 6 curveball, as much hammer as I could on that. And then just your standard changeup that I would flip in there every once in a while. Try a two seam, but my two seam didn't really move as much. So four seam fastball, I I've noticed like if I really need to throw a strike and be accurate, I'd kind of separate my fingers a little more just to get a better feel for the ball. And then when I'd want if like O two or something, I just want to blow one by the guy, I'd put them closer together. You know, get some more velo because your fingers are stronger the closer they are together. But you do sacrifice some some uh, accuracy with that. Uh, curveball is very, very unique is what I've heard. So my curveball is right here. And then I stack my fingers on top of each other. Okay. Yeah. That, that, is, goofy. that is very it's goofy. It's goofy. I've never seen anyone else do it, but I stack them on top of each other to get like, well, you want to like limit surface area. That's just like common physics with trying to get something to spin. So I limit surface area and then put like double of pressure on my front finger and just get everything on that outside seam. And then just kind of like not do a ton with my thumb, just let this whole thing just kind of take it over and just get it out front, just let it take off. So that was, that's kind of the mindset with my curveball and then change up kind of playing around with it. I haven't needed it as much as I will in the future, just being like pitching in high school, all that stuff. But I would go right here with it and then just focus on leading with like, with this knuckle, if that makes sense. Yeah. Just get like right there and then just kind of pronate that thing when I throw it to get that like down and away type of movement on it. So yeah, pretty standard, nothing crazy yet, but I'm excited to like learn new pitches and stuff as I grow as a baseball player too. Sure. So, so out of those four pitches that you have currently that you throw consistently, uh, which pitch do you think needs the most work? Definitely my changeup. Changeup is a huge pitch and 
can arguably, it, uh, arguably it is the best pitch in baseball if someone knows how to throw it because it's, it's impossible. If it looks just like a fastball, but it's 12 miles an hour slower, like there's no way to hit it and unless you're looking for it or sitting for it or something. So definitely my changeup needs some work. And then just getting used to like my fastball and being able to repeat it over and over again, like where I want to put it, because until right now, I've just been kind of chucking the thing. I haven't really been really focusing on hitting this spot of a hitter or anything like that. So definitely for that. And then curveball is just good as long as I can just keep repeating it and and all that. Okay. So you mentioned that you're trying to add a sinker um, little like, little mm-hmm. by little. Um, so when you try to add different pitches, like how do you go about it? Because, again, this is another thing that pitchers kind of have all different – all pitchers have kind of different ways of going about it. So how do you go about adding right. different pitches? So just like my, my – in my past, I haven't really needed a whole lot of pitches to be added just because I'm from South Dakota. You don't really need a, a ton of pitches. As long as you have two great pitches, you'll, you'll, you're able to dominate. And anyone can say that. But once you kind of get to the higher levels is when you kind of start implementing different pitches just because it's better against this hitter than this hitter. But you hear stories like I know Marcus Stroman had one with his splitter that like he literally learned it, his bullpen, like the day before his game and then brought it out there and struck a dude out on it. So I think it's just confidence. If you throw that thing enough to have confidence with it, I, I don't think there's any sort of problem as to why you shouldn't throw it in the game. I don't think there's a certain time you need to throw it before you throw it in the game. Um, and I, what I would like to do with even my changeup grips, which is kind of a similar things to a lesser scale, I would wait until I'm up in the count and then just throw this grip on this changeup and just kind of see how it feels, see how the hitter reacts to it, notice how he takes it, how he swings at it, different things like that. But it's, it's just a confidence thing. You can't throw a pitch if you don't have any confidence in it. And if you have confidence in the pitch, you don't really need it to be as good as you would like it to be because you just, you just feel good throwing it, you know? Yeah. All right. So let's transition a little bit. Um, so you mentioned you talked we talked about the MLB draft combine there for a little bit. So that was a very cool event that you got to be a part of. But you also mentioned PG National, PG All American, um, mm-hmm. Code. Uh, so let's dig into travel ball. Uh, so take us through um, mid south. Sure. The mid south prospects is what's listed on Perfect Game is who you played for. Um, so how did you get yeah. connected with them? And I know before we kind of started recording, you said travel ball is a little bit on the lower end um, compared to Legion ball um, in South Dakota and those States up there, up North. Uh, so kind of just take us through yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. So mid South prospects is, is a travel. It's like an organization that's just prospects. Uh, so there's like Omaha prospects or Nebraska prospects. There's like Arkansas prospects, Kansas City prospects and mid South is just all of them kind of combined that go and play bigger tournaments, usually in the off season. So I got lined up with that, with one of my previous teammates. They're like, we needed a pitcher and they're like, does anyone know any pitchers that could come help pitch for this tournament? And he called me up and I'm like, sure, man, I have nothing going on this weekend. Let's drive down to Oklahoma. So my mom is a ton of credit to her too, because she would drop whatever she's doing and try to help me if she thought that help it could help my career at all. So yeah. I love my mom to death for that. And so we drove down to Oklahoma. This was going into my sophomore year. So after my freshman summer is the first time I played with them. And I think it was a PG tournament down there, but went down there and I threw like five no-hit innings, threw really well. And then that's when colleges started kind of talking to me. So Mid-South has been has been big for me in that. And then the next offseason, I played the MLK for Mid-South um, as well, just for travel, travel ball. And 
I've only played two tournaments with him, but I mean, the two tournaments I played with him helped me tremendously. So I have a lot to thank for it's Raleigh. Kenny is the, uh, the coach of that team. So yeah, huge props to him as well. So that's, that's really all the travel ball I did. I didn't play for a Canes national or anything like that. I got asked to play in a couple of those teams. Uh, I know that Philly scout team asked to play for Jupiter last year, but I, I played football, so I couldn't, Yeah. but other than that, I just do the big events that I'd get invited to, like your area codes, your PG events, your PBR events. Those were kind of the travel ball I did. Okay. So you said you were invited to the Phillies, the Philly scout team. Um, were there a couple other national nationwide travel ball teams that you were invited to as well? Um, and then when you were like, what was your thought process yeah. on potentially going to play for them? And then you ended up not playing for them. Uh, what was your thought process on that? Yeah, obviously those those teams are the best in the country. Uh, Canes talked to me a little bit too and wanted me to play for like their one of the, not the top team, not Canes National, like the one below it, I guess. But I was talking to them and it was just it was usually towards the end of my summers when they'd ask me and I'd be playing football. You know, most of it would be like fall ball stuff because those dudes down south play until like October. It's crazy they don't stop playing. But I would I'd always have football, so I'm like thanks for the offer, but I I just yeah. can't. You know, I love football. Football is awesome. So I just would kind of hold off on all of those. But I mean, super, super thankful that they would want me to play to be a part of such like a widely renowned program with Canes and like FTV. So so how would you compare travel ball um, to the couple of events that you actually were a part of um, to Legion ball? Because like I said, you did mention that Legion ball is pretty important mm -hmm. up there in the in the Dakotas. Uh, so kind of take us through that a little bit. For sure. Yeah. So Legion ball is kind of unique. Um, it's something that the kids down south will, will like don't understand and never really will understand it's it's an older style of baseball it's like each town has their own legion team and they all play like a regular season tournament or a regular season like schedule and then they play a tournament at the end of the year and what legion ball is is it's kind of cool because high school ball you'd have to, obviously you'd have to play for your high school but Legion ball, you could kind of opt out of your high school and then go play for different teams. So I remember every year in Legion, there were like a lot of really, really bad teams, but there were always like four or five super teams that would always get dudes from different towns and get them all to play on one team. The one I played for was like that. It was a Sioux Falls team that I played for and we had a couple out of town kids play for. So that, that whole part of it was super fun. You know, you'd hear about different kids going to different Legion teams in the off season and you're like, oh, is it going to be fun in the in the summer? So it was it's super cool because there's it's like there's something behind it. You know, there's like an end goal. Yeah. Which travel ball. I mean, you can win like the WWBA, which is huge, but there's never really like towns behind your team. You know, there's not like a ton of people. I, I would bet a lot of money that the state tournament for Legion ball has a lot more people than like the final game of the WWBA does. So that whole part is cool. Just the motions run high that whole thing is it, it's, it's an awesome experience. I love, I loved it. Yeah. It for like awesome. championship games, like for the WWBA, obviously places like East Cobb and Lake point, I mean, they're, they're full at that point for the championship game. Cause everyone there is watching. Uh, but no, I mean, right. I, that makes a lot of sense when like the whole town's kind of behind it. And when I, I never played oh, like, yeah. a top travel ball team uh, growing up, I wasn't like a great, super great ball player or anything. So, I mean, yeah. no, I understand where it comes to like the towns behind you kind of in a way like high school football is um, around the country. Um, so did you, so were you one of those guys that opted out of high school to play Legion ball or did you try to play? Yeah, ball? I opted out of my, opted out of my high school to play for uh, a team in, in Renner, which is kind of like Sioux Falls O'Gorman, which is that school. 
So, yeah, that was opted out of there. I got to know those kids really well, played with them for three years. And we won a state tournament the last year that I played with them. So it was super cool. Got so what would, you, what would you say that competition level is like for Legion Ball in South Dakota? I mean, I would say it is less compared to if you were to go down south and play travel ball. I mean, the kids that you would play against, like, just your average team versus your average team would probably be less. But, like, the two best teams usually had, you know, a comfortable, like, a good amount of D1 commits in there. They had basically every kid in the lineup was playing college baseball. So, I mean, you could compare that to, like, a pretty decent travel team, I think, just with the competition of, like, the two best teams in the state that would that would play. So it was still really, really good baseball, but it just wasn't as, like, tied into, like, the PBR stuff and the PG stuff because a lot of the kids didn't care about that. They were just South Dakota kids that just loved baseball, you know. So that whole side of it was, was super cool, too. You could kind of forget about the rankings and all that stuff yeah, that I feel is it's important but you, if you get too wrapped up in it it could be detrimental and just play baseball so yeah I mean there's there's always guys that when they're like let's say for the 2026 ranking that just came out from PBR but all the incoming freshmen yeah. I mean I'm sure there's tons of guys who are in the top three top four of their state who by the time they graduate aren't even going to be in the top 20 and then there's guys who are going to yeah. be versa uh, one of my good one of my good buddies last year, he's a class of 24. Um, he was he's committed to IU and he wasn't even number he was number 16 in the state of Indiana last year at this time. Now he's number one mm-hmm. in the state and number 15 in the nation. So I mean yeah. it's, it's crazy how quick those rankings uh how quick those rankings change and how quickly players evolve from the time that they're freshmen to seniors. Um is there even a PBR like South Dakota or a PBR North Dakota? Yeah, so they rank uh, North and South Dakota with Minnesota. Okay. So I was always ranked with the Minnesota kids. And I think I was I was one for a year, and then I dropped down to two for a year. They thought, like, this lefty was higher than me, I guess. And then I had, like, a great summer and was back up to one. So I was usually top two in, in that, okay. which is pretty cool. So who are some of those other guys in that South, North Dakota, and Minnesota area um, who were potentially drafted or other guys who headed to good baseball division one programs. Yeah. I remember my first year, it was a, there was a Liam Martin who went to California, Santa Barbara. There was an Alex call. Who's a lefty pitcher who was pretty good. Uh, who else did we have? We had Derek Smith, who's the uh, right-handed pitcher at NC state right now. Uh, Logan Olson, who's lefty at Oregon right now. And then there were a couple – there's a kid named Parker Pitts who was, I think, top 10. Same with Will Simmons, who were both South Dakota boys. Marcus Phillips was in there as well. And those were, I think, the top South Dakota kids were those – were us four. Okay. But, yeah, it was it was awesome just kind of seeing how they changed. Like you said, you know, looking back at, like – I think Peach came out with, a like, a first class of 2022 rankings back when they were, like, eighth graders or something. And looking at some of the names that you're like, who's this kid? And then you look at others, you're like, oh, yeah, he, he didn't change at all. He's still still the top. So, yeah, that yeah, was super cool. Yeah, I mean, it's always it's said. always cool seeing those new rankings come out. Like, I was I was pretty excited to see the – because this, this past week was when – I'm sure you don't follow it as much anymore now that you're in college ball. Mm-hmm. But I still do just be with 25, 26 is kind of being my first kind of like draft classes as an agent uh, looking into the future. Like, I was pretty excited for those, those 2026 rankings to come out just to see – who the guys in the, in Indiana, my state, or even Ohio, Illinois, the states around me, uh, kind of who those top dogs are, uh, just to kind of, you know, for names to look mm-hmm. at. 
Um, but no, man, I got a, I got a couple more questions here for you, and then we'll just we'll end it off. Um, we'll probably go ahead, use the rest of this time, and then I'll probably just end a uh, send a third link just to like end it off and kind of say like thanks for coming on the show and stuff like that. Uh, but these last couple questions. Uh, last couple questions. So kind of, let's let's go through fall ball a little bit. So you've been on campus now for a little bit more, a little bit less than one full semester. Uh, so just take us through um, just what fall ball is like at Wichita State, kind of maybe the, the surprises that you had and maybe what that day-to-day looked like. Yeah, so fall was it, was, it was very busy. It was a busier time than I thought it was going to be right away, just because I'm like, man, I'm hurt. You know, I'm probably not going to get to do a whole lot down there, but it was it was busy. We'd go to class. I've had I had class from eight o'clock every day to twelve fifteen, and then from twelve fifteen we wouldn't get out of the field until some days around five or six. If we had a lift in there too, so we'd have practice every day. We'd have to uh, do PFP stuff. I could do all that just because I could run around and catch balls and shag and all that good stuff. But started throwing, but it was it was super cool. The Shocker Fall World Series is super cool. Like the inner squad type game i think every school does that there's like yeah. a, an inner squad type world series to get everyone to come out and watch the team and that was super cool just because they're your teammates they're your buddies and you can kind of like chirp at them when they when they don't do anything it's just, it's just kind of fun because it, like it's all love so that that whole part was super cool too just seeing guys get uh do well in that on the other team too like i mean even if a guy was on the other team and he roped a double or anything like you still cheer for him just because that's awesome yeah but yeah that got competitive at the end it was that was that was a super fun super fun time. I think everyone on the team would agree with me on that. I'm sure. So what, so at this point, I know like um, once it comes to the end of fall, like it starts becoming more individualized where players are kind of focusing more on themselves. Um, what does yep. it look like at this point in the fall um, for you and with you going through your recovery process and for guys who are planning on playing, who are healthy and ready to go? Uh, what does that look like for both of you guys? Yeah. So right now I'm still throwing, and everything because I'm still doing my rehab stuff. But most of the pitches right now are just kind of shut down just because it was a, a heavy time in the Fall World Series. And then we we're looking to ramp back up right away in after Christmas break. So right now it's kind of an off off time for your normal pitcher. Uh, we're all still lifting and everything, but just as throwing goes, yeah, I'm, I'm really just the dudes that are still kind of either banged up or have are coming off of surgery. There's another dude that had labrum reconstruction that I'm throwing with right now. So we're, we're still throwing uh, and then lifting as well is, is super awesome. Lifting, running, all your agility stuff. Okay. So with, so with you this fall kind of watching both those teams in that Wichita State Intramural World Series, uh, what do you think the outlook is on this spring? So for me and other college baseball fans around the country, who are some names to be watching for uh, to be playing at Wichita State this upcoming spring? Yeah, uh, just some dudes that really stuck out to me this fall. Um, Clark Candiotti. He came from a JUCO. He, he had a really good fall for us. I was really impressed with Robert Kranz, especially with his last start he had in the Shocker World Series. He was disgusting. His fastball was hopping. He was throwing everything for strikes. He looked really good. Uh, Brock Rodden is obviously really good. Drafted 10th round last year by the A's. Turned it down to come back and play another year. Uh, Chuck Ingram. Uh, Jordan Rogers is really good. Kite McDonald, who came from that Mississippi State team that won it in 2019 who is playing for us now. He'll probably be our center fielder. He was he was really fun to watch. Tolley was really fun to watch. Um yeah, Cameron Bai is really good. Just a lot of just a lot of really good players on both ends. You know, they're one I'd be asked like what's gonna be better, your pitchers or your hitters? And 
honestly, at times I felt it was one thing and other times I felt it was another thing. So it's just super cool to see both sides dominate um, just with inter-squad stuff. It's a good sign. So yeah. I'm excited for it. I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'll, I'll definitely be following Wichita State this upcoming spring, especially interviewing you, interviewing Hogan. Um, I believe I've got a couple mm-hmm. other like potential interviews in the works with guys at your school. Um, so we'll see if that happens as well. Awesome. But no, I'll definitely be following you guys and kind of hoping hoping the best for you. Uh, but now I got two final questions here to end it off. And these are two questions I've been asking everybody these past month, two months. Far away. Of the podcast, a little bit, little bit more of just yeah. about baseball, uh, moving away from the baseball field. Um, just kind of what is it that motivates you every day just to get up, kind of go ahead and win the day, especially now um, when you are going through that recovery process and kind of going through a little bit of a potential yeah. roadblocks at times. Yeah, that's, that's a real thing, too, is the whole mental side of it and getting out of bed. Um, something that always just kind of keeps me going is knowing that there's a lot of people back home for me that are really like cheering me on. And I've never been a big, like prove people wrong type guy. I've always been like a prove people right type guy. Like all those people that have made sacrifices for me and have kind of stuck up for me when I haven't been in the room or something like that. Uh, just making sure that you don't let those people down. So all those people that are rooting for me back home, all the people that are rooting for me all over that want to see me succeed. I would feel better uh, showing those people right than showing the people that don't agree with everything I do wrong if that makes sense yeah. so I like my background on my phone is a picture of me and my parents um just making sure like I fulfill my dream and also their dream you know to see me perform at the highest level is something that they are super excited to see me do one day hopefully so just having those ideas in my head definitely keeps me going gets me out of bed and I don't really want to and it gets me to the field and do things and I could probably just blow them off and say I'm gonna do them tomorrow as well all right, Austin, now to the last question we got for you on the podcast. That question is, yeah. everything goes right. All these motivations keep getting you up every day, going and winning the day. Everything goes right. Perfect picture of your life in 20 years. What does that look like? 20 years, so that would make me about 40. So, man, that's a good question. Um, I would have to say my end goal and everything is just kind of be happy at the end of it. So if, if it happens, like, I tried as hard as I could and something just didn't line up and I didn't really fulfill my dream. Like that's gotta be something that I'm able to live with. Uh, right now it doesn't sound super appealing. So hopefully I can, that's not the case, but and in, in, when I'm 40, uh, hopefully I had a solid career in the bigs. You know, I stayed healthy, all that. Hopefully I won a couple of Cy Youngs and hopefully by that point I have a family of my own one day and I'm, finding something else to do in my free time because I don't really have to work because hopefully I was comfortable with the financial stuff. I played long enough and hopefully I'm just kind of hanging out and raising a family and doing whatever I want to do. That that sounds, that sounds awesome to me right now. Another perfect answer. Two for two. Uh, No, I I mean, I do know. I really, I do really appreciate you coming on the show. That was the last question. Um, I loved a lot of the detail you went into. Um, Sometimes I get people on the podcast Mm -hmm. and they won't be nearly as detailed as the way you did it. Um, just love the way that you kind of dug into every pitch grip, every you had all the the uh, the pitching science in in a way, kind of your arm care, um, the way you're kind of going through the Tommy John's uh, process. Do really enjoy that. I think that's great content 
for the listeners and for myself as I just continue to learn more and more about different players and learn more and more about just like this industry in general as I'm trying to become an agent, um, like I said, in two to three years. Uh, so no, just really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, like I said, I want to wish the best of luck um, as you go through this Tommy John process of recovering. Um, and then once you start pitching again, uh, best of luck there as well. Um, hopefully I'll get to see your name on that draft board in 2024. I'll be watching yes, and hear that name, Austin Henry, man. But no, uh, like I said, thanks for coming on the show and I'll definitely be following your career. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. I hope the best with you and your career as well. You know, sports, sports advising is, is super cool. I think, you know, I've had great, great connections with my advisors in the past and it's something that's, it's, it's, it's awesome, you know, because you get to kind of make deals with all these big time dudes and then like go out to eat with them and go to like basketball games and shit too. So yeah, that, that sounds awesome, man. If you have any questions with that, just reach out. I don't know a ton about it, but I can try to help you as much as I can. Okay, awesome. So, yeah. I appreciate it, man. Um, 